Are you interested in fostering a growth mindset and looking to improve your surroundings? First, you've got to work to improve yourself. The Ignited Firefighter Podcast is dedicated to the firefighting and first responder community. However, everyone can benefit from the principles and topics discussed. This is meant to be an interactive podcast experience where input and different perspectives are welcomed. Let's build a community of true brotherhood and progress through integrity and accountability. Let's be ignited. Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan Rodriguez, and I'm the founder and your host for the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. First off, I want to say thank you for listening to the show. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this one. Uh, there are a lot of things that we should be talking about as first responders that we just aren't. Uh, in not having these crucial conversations, we're doing ourselves and the people we serve a disservice. And as I mentioned in the first episode of the podcast, I'm a certified personal trainer and a peer fitness trainer for the organization I work for. Today, I'm going to talk about the physical aspect that is crucial for us in the firefighting and first responder community, building physical strength. We'll talk about the mindset we should have, the layout of building a simple program for yourself, and the steps you'll need to take to execute your plan. So here is the ultimate question. Why is physical strength so important? The answer to this seems obvious to me. Um, our professions require a great deal of physical work, and as we become stronger in our ability to perform, the more capable we become and the less likely we are to injure ourselves. Think about it this way. Uh, the whole reason there are firefighter calendars is because our profession is a symbol of strength. It's important to remember that our profession is as much mental as it is physical, um, but people want to see strong and capable individuals stepping out of the fire trucks, ambulances, and police cruisers. People can't necessarily visually see your mental strength, but how you uh, carry yourself and outfit yourself and prepare yourself physically is an outward expression of that internal mental strength and mental commitment that you've made to yourself and the people you serve. Uh, this, this image that we project, this positive image that we project, I should say, helps to instill the confidence in the people that we serve that we would actually be able to help them in their time of need. There's, there's no question. If they look at us and see someone strong, someone very capable uh, physically, then their doubts are minimized, if not altogether removed. If you're feeling a, a twinge of guilt right now because you feel like you aren't where you should be in your physical ability, then you need to do something about it. And that's all there is to it. The good news is I'm going to provide you with some guidelines right now as to how to structure a plan for yourself. All right, let's talk about the measuring tools and assessment techniques that we can take to start measuring our baselines and make those improvements that we need to. So what gets measured gets improved, right? So if you are starting a new workout program or starting a new diet or whatnot or making changes of any kind, step one, get a journal. Get a journal so you can document your baselines. You need to know where you're at. So as you progress throughout whichever program you select or whichever program you build, 
you can constantly refer back to that and make adjustments as needed and see if that program is working for you or not. If you want to make some changes in your life, then you're going to need to have some way to observe the metrics of the situation. And getting a journal and making these documentations are crucial in that. When it comes to building physical strength and improving your fitness, it's incredibly easy to measure your baseline. And then from there, you see where you've improved. The difficult part is being consistent in your training program. Consistency is crucial. But at the same time, I've discovered that working with clients or working with other firefighters, that consistency is the biggest setback. People make excuses for time, no energy. Um, I've got these all these other obligations. But ultimately, it comes down to your dedication and your level of consistency. You're just not going to see the results you want if you're not consistent. Living in the beautiful state of Arizona, I've got a built-in reminder of what consistency creates uh, in the example of the Grand Canyon. The Colorado River has run the same path for years and throughout its journey has created one of the most breathtaking sights you'll ever see. How did it do this? Through consistency. The same ideal can be applied to your fitness regimen. Keep with it and the results will come. Step two. Weigh yourself. Your body weight uh, needs to be weighed in regards uh, of LBs or kilograms, up to you. Either way, how you want to measure it, but it needs to be measured. When feeling overweight, I'm sure you can feel the discomfort of your uniform not fitting how it should. It's, it's your other clothes not fitting how they should. Maybe you don't like the way you look. It's uncomfortable. All of those things are uncomfortable. But I want to remind you not to be a slave to the scale. All right, the your amount of pounds doesn't determine your entire body composition. Pounds alone are not a good assessment of your overall health situation. So, for example, I weigh close to 230 pounds, but my 230 pounds versus somebody else's 230 pounds looks very different. I'm at 16% body fat right now and I'm in the process of trimming down even more because as summer comes you want to look better for the beach all that stuff um, but my 220 or my 230 at 16% looks very different than somebody else's 230 at 30% or even 40% that means 40% of them is body fat it looks very different it's a very different construct which brings me to my next talking point, body fat percentage. Step three, body fat percentage. This is the percent of fat that you're carrying around on your body. This number is, is supposed to be utilized in conjunction with your weight. Those two numbers together should determine if you need to make any changes to your lifestyle. And it can help guide you as to how you should make those changes. Do I need to incorporate more of a strength training program? Do I need to watch my diet a little more? It helps you identify those areas that you can adjust to get you to your goal. Step four, cardiovascular assessments. How long does it take you to run a mile? The average person can run a mile in 10 minutes. So basing, you know, measuring against that, where do you measure up? Go run a mile. 
If you haven't run a mile in 10 years, it's long overdue. Go run a mile. I hate running, but anyone can run a mile. It may take you long. It may take you longer than 10 minutes. It may take you 20 minutes, but you still need to be able to take those steps to measure where you fall on the scale in regards to how long it takes you to run that mile and get it done. If you have access to a rowing machine, do, uh, do a test where you can see how long it takes you to row 2,000 meters. Um, if, have you ever used a row machine? Maybe get to a local gym or a YMCA or whatnot and, and try it out. It's actually pretty fun. Um, but use that standard to measure where you're at. In regards to the standard that I hold for myself, it's to be able to row at least 2,000 meters in eight minutes. Eight minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but when you're trying to row those 2,000 meters, trust me, it feels like forever. Uh, try it and see where you fall, and then work toward meeting that standard. So let's say you get to the gym, and you're rowing, and you get to 2,000 meters, but it's taking you 10 minutes to do it. So uh, after you've identified that baseline, after you've identified that measurement, you can take steps throughout the week to better outfit yourself for that cardiovascular endurance and then maybe two weeks from there you can set a goal by this time in two weeks I will have shaved off those two minutes so let's say every day you get to the gym and you row 500 meters for three days 500 meters one day 500 meters the next and then you bump it up to a thousand meters and then after you feel comfortable and like you've gotten your cardiovascular endurance up on a thousand meters bump it up to 1500 and then by the time that two weeks has rolled around 2000 meters doesn't seem so bad next up step five strength assessments so attempt simple strength assessments and document your baseline like I said guys document 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 write it down some of these assessments include how many push-ups you can do in a minute how many sit-ups you can do in a minute how many pull-ups you can do. Now that's not in a minute, but how many pull-ups can you do? If you're fresh into the gym, get on a pull-up bar and see how many you can bust out. If it's one, awesome. If it's 21, even better. If you can't even do one pull-up, that's still a metric of measurement, guys. Don't feel bad about it. The fact that you now know where your baseline is means you know where you need to improve. And that's super helpful when it comes to goal setting and laying out a plan to improve those goals. If you're familiar with a gym and exercising, you may want to start with some basic lifting techniques to find out where your baseline is now. Things like bench press, squats, deadlifts. Those strength assessments are going to help provide that baseline and measurement uh, metric for measurement. So as you go up or as you increase in weight, your strength obviously is increasing at the same time. All right, let's talk about the solution and some action steps you can take. Now that you've got your baselines measured and you've got an idea as to where you fall on the scale and your body fat percentage, first thing you need to do is decide on a goal. Is your goal to lose fat? Is your goal to gain muscle? 
or is your goal to simply maintain your current level of fitness? So first of all, um, let's talk about nutrition a little bit. Let's talk about micronutrients versus macronutrients. So micronutrients are the vitamins and minerals that your body needs in small amounts that help with development, immunity, and general well-being. These things are like magnesium, potassium, sodium, uh, all the minerals and vitamins that you would get throughout your diet or even through supplementation. So like vitamin C, um, these are things you don't have to worry about overdosing on per se because your body is going to naturally purge what it doesn't use or it doesn't need. So let's say uh, for vitamin C, for example, um, let's say you're taking a thousand milligrams of vitamin C a day, which is a lot. Um, typically, I think about 400 to 500 milligrams a day would be adequate. But let's say you're taking a thousand and your body only uses, I don't know, 700 milligrams of it. It's the, the rest of those milligrams of vitamin C aren't just going to get stuck somewhere within you. You're going to urinate them out. You're going to pee them out. Your body's going to purge them and get rid of them. So you don't have to worry about, oh, I wonder what my potassium levels are today. Um, if you find yourself cramping up at the gym, then obviously you need some more potassium. These are things like if you go to a doctor and they've diagnosed you with low potassium or low calcium, then, then yeah, you need to pay attention specifically to that micronutrient because there's a deficiency within your body. Um, otherwise, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll get your micronutrients throughout your, your regular diet. Or like I said, as you take different supplements with magnesium, vitamin C, all of that good stuff. So macronutrients. Macronutrients are your big three. The, the big three that you can control that have direct effect on your body composition as you go through your fitness regimen. So your macronutrients are carbs, proteins, and fats. Like I said, these are the three main nutrients that make up the foods that we eat, and these are the elements that we should focus on and manipulate depending on our goals. So if you wanna lose fat, you'll need to take in less calories than you use. It's as simple as that. The not so simple parts are either restricting your caloric intake, increasing your physical activity, or both at the same time. That's where the dedication comes in, the mental fortitude and the consistency. If you want to gain muscle, think of the protein as the bricks and the carbs as your brick layers. Your intake of both should be a rough two to one ratio. You want more brick layers than bricks, so the proverbial wall gets built faster, or more efficiently, at least. The key thing to remember is that you need to utilize your eating habits in conjunction with your strength training program. It's not one or the other. If you alter your diet and you find yourself losing a lot of weight, that's great. However, you're also going to be losing muscle mass, which means you're also going to be losing strength. So yeah, you may be 200 pounds and then have lost 30 pounds, 
and everybody's like, oh, you're so fit and you look so great. Well, you may look thinner, but you're not fit. Just because you've lost fat doesn't mean you're fit. What designates your fitness status is your strength and your ability to perform. Okay. So a couple of the, let's, let's talk about the three different guidelines that there are uh, for utilizing and manipulating your macronutrients based on your goal. So if you're trying to bodybuild, if you're trying to build up muscle and pack it on, let's say like during the winter, um, 40 to 60% of your diet should be carbs. Then your proteins should equal 25 to 35% of your diet. And finally, your fat intake is going to be 15 to 25%. Now, you just want to stick within those ranges. Um, there's a multitude of apps out there that you can use to help track your, your diet, track your meals um, in regards to these macros. The one I personally use is MyFitnessPal. And it's sponsored by Under Armour. It's phenomenal. You can use the camera on your phone. You can download the free app. Use the camera on your phone to scan the barcodes of the foods you're eating and it'll automatically put those percentages of your macros in a pie chart. So you can see where you're falling on your daily food intake and the types of foods you're eating. So it helps you identify some things you can adjust, some things that might need to be removed from your diet, some things that might need to be added. It's a fantastic resource and it's free. They do have a paid version, I believe, but that goes like further into like meal planning and all other kinds of specifics. But the free version is fantastic. Download it from the App Store or whatever App Store you use. I use it all the time, especially when I'm trying to shred down. So we'll talk about that right now. The percentages for fat loss when you're trying to do a shred and you're trying to shrink wrap, you know, shrink wrap your skin around your, your muscles. These are the percentages as far as macros go that you need to be adhering to. So 40 to 50% should be protein. Now that's a big change from our bodybuilding, right? Because now we're, we're looking to change our body's mentality instead of using carbs as energy to build our, our muscles up. We're trying to reset or reprogram our mind to understand that it needs to use fat as energy to burn and that's what's going to help initiate that fat loss and that fat burning modality 40 to 50 percent of protein or 40 to 50 percent of your diet is protein this is daily 30 to 40 percent is fat content and the least amount or the smallest little area of this pie chart is the 10 to 30 percent of the carbs so it's very low carb. It's not no carb. You're not going keto. Keto has its place, but this is not it. But for fat loss, you want to, like I said, switch your, your body's way of thinking so that instead of using carbs, it's using the stored fat that's already on your body. Finally, if you want to maintain where you're at, if you like where you're at, if you're you're weight in pounds is good in conjunction with your body fat percentage if that's good 
you like the way you look, you like the way your clothes are fitting. If you want to simply maintain where you're at, then all of these three macronutrients are going to be pretty much balanced out. You're going to have 30 to 50 percent carb intake, 25 to 35 percent protein intake, and 25 to 35 percent fat intake. As you adjust those percentages based on your goals, you'll see the effect on your body. And it usually takes 8 to 10 days. Whenever you make an adjustment in your lifestyle, whether it's diet or exercise, it usually takes 8 to 10 days to see a difference, whether it's on the scale or in the mirror. Um, if you're doing diet and exercise in conjunction with each other, then you can anticipate results much sooner. But typically 8 to 10 days is the, is the time frame that you'll see some changes. All right, so you've got the information that you need to make a decision as to how you want to change your lifestyle, how you want your body to look, and how you want to feel. Now is where we talk about how to actually get there. We're going to talk about how to build a program. So, first off, when you're performing strength training, you should be working agonists, muscle groups that are agonists. So that means <clears throat> muscle groups that work together. So muscle groups that work in conjunction with each other when you're performing a movement. So if agonists are the groups that work together, the antagonists would be the muscle groups that work against each other. Now I subscribe to this because it helps me be able to stagger my workouts throughout the week. So if I work chest and if I do like an upper body push on Monday, then I'm ready for another upper body push on Wednesday. If I'm doing a lower body pull on Tuesday, I'm ready for another lower body pull on Thursday. But here's the interesting thing. If I do a lower body pull on Monday, then I'm immediately ready for a lower body push on Tuesday because I'm working different sets of muscles, different muscle groups, performing different actions. So this helps, this staggering helps me to get the most bang for my buck, the more quality of a workout I get as opposed to the quantity of the workout that I get. So let's talk about agonist muscle groups. So your chest and your triceps are the muscles that make up your upper body push motion, okay? Now this includes shoulders to some extent as well. Chest, triceps, shoulders. Your upper body pull is gonna consist of your back, your biceps, and again, shoulders because you're doing a different motion, you'll, you'll be doing like a rear, you'll be working a rear delt, or even a lateral delt. For legs, you've got, like I mentioned, the lower body pull, which consists of movements such as deadlifts, leg curls, hinge lifts, and then you have a lower body push, which consists of <clears throat> squats, lunges, leg press, things like that. 
Now, working agonists isn't mandatory, but like I said, it's best in order to stagger your workouts and get the most bang for your buck. I usually take no more than an hour when I go to the gym for a strength training session. Um, like I said, I structure my workouts in a matter of quality versus quantity. I can do much more for my body based on how I structure my workouts in one hour than I could in two hours. And you'll see some people spending like three or four hours in the gym and it's like, oh my gosh, I just don't have the time for that, first of all. Second of all, I'm about quality, not quantity. I'd much rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies, everyone. I'd much rather have like two rock solid hardcore friends, ride or die friends, than a hundred flim flam people that I just can't rely on for anything. Quality over quantity. Um, so this is how I structure my workouts. I do five to six minutes on muscle activation and warm up. So if I'm working my chest, then I'll do a muscle activation that's gonna warm up those muscles that I'm working. Now this isn't cardio, this isn't three to six minutes of cardio. It's a warm up, which means I'm performing similar movements that I will be performing through my strength training. I'm not like beating my head into the dirt doing cardio right off the bat and getting exhausted before I even start my strength training session. That completely depletes my glycogen resources and my energy levels for doing the main thing that I got in there to do, which is strength training. So three to six minutes on muscle activation and warm up. You get your body to the point where you have that just that nice coating of sweat. You're not ringing with sweat. You're not dripping with sweat, but you're vasodilated. You might be breathing a little heavy, um, but you have just that little layer of stickiness on your skin. Then I move on to my strength training. 40 to 45 minutes. Now I do what's called a full house. I've called, I've labeled it a full house in working agonists. So I work three, uh, I do three exercises of my big muscle group and then two exercises of my small muscle group. So for example, if, if it's an upper body push day, then I'll do three exercises that consist of like a bench press, something of the of my chest. I'll do three exercises that involve my chest directly. Now I might be working a different area of that chest, but regardless, it's three exercises of that big muscle group of my chest, and then two of my small muscle group, my triceps, that work in conjunction with that pushing motion. Okay, now there's a plethora of different exercises you can choose from, but the formula that I use and that I've created is the full house method. Three of the big muscle group, two of the small muscle group. When you're, when you're doing, when you're performing your exercises, you should be doing three sets of eight to 10 reps. Now that's eight to 10, meaning on that eighth or 10th one, no matter where you fall in between that eight, nine or 10, that last rep that you're performing is damn near impossible. This is what's going to initiate muscle growth. This is what's going to improve 
your strength. Three sets of eight to 10 reps. After my 40 to 45 minutes of strength training, I do 20, I do 15 to 20 minutes of cardio interval finisher. So when I do my cardio interval finisher, I will Sorry guys, technical glitch there. Um, my 20 or 15 to 20 minute cardio interval finisher. So when you do an interval workout versus steady state cardio, your interval workout will always benefit you more than the steady state every time. I can do 20 minutes of an interval workout that will exponentially improve my endurance over an hour long steady state cardio workout any day and that's just science so you you'll be working for a minute and then you take a 30 second break you'll be working hard for a minute take another 30 second break now those that minute and 30 seconds doesn't that doesn't have to be your interval it could be a matter of um, seconds like I'm gonna work hard for 35 seconds straight work hard and give it everything I can and then take a 10 second break and you cycle through those intervals for that full 15 to 20 minutes. And you do that after your strength training because your whole point of going into the gym and building strength is to build muscles and to use the energy that you've collected in your diet and all the glycogen stores that you have to use towards building your muscle and building that strength. So now that we've done that, now that we've checked that box, we can move on to our cardio finisher, which will help us get that fat burn throughout the day. After I do my 15 to 20 minutes of a cardio interval finisher, I do five to 10 minutes of stretching. And I do my stretching after I work out. I never ever stretch before I work out. And you shouldn't either. And let me tell you why. Your body has a natural ability to protect itself when you exercise. So when you stretch before you work out, you reduce your body's ability to protect itself, opening yourself up for injury. If I'm going to go in and, and bench heavy, then or if I've stretched and kind of taken away that natural protection, I completely open up myself to tearing muscles, to injuring my joints. I don't want to remove my body's natural ability to protect itself. Your body as you perform these exercises will warm up on its own and it'll be able to go a little further as you push throughout your exercise. However, <clears throat> when you're done exercising is when you need to stretch the muscle group that you've just finished working. This allows those myofibrils to stretch your, your uh, basis for your range of motion improves, which allows for improvement in regards to your strength conditioning. Um, on all of these episodes so far, I have, at the very end, I tell you to be hard to kill. And I do that for a reason. I don't like it when people are like, oh, be safe, be safe. And it's like, yeah, we're going to be safe. Like that's built in. That's a standard. Like I challenge you to do more. I challenge you to be hard to kill. Everything out there is trying to kill you. Cars driving by you on an EMS scene, house fires, heart disease, cancer, etc. 
It's your job to do what you can do to fight all of these factors. Being safe is passive. Being hard to kill is very active. All right, guys, let's wrap it up and review what we've done. So we talked about how to build physical strength, why it's important, and the different ways uh, that, we can, that we can do that, and some things to pay attention to specifically. Something to remember is that you can't outlift a bad diet, okay? No matter how much you want to believe it, you just can't do it, especially if you want abs. Abs are made in the kitchen, not in the gym, all right? It'll catch up to you, and it'll store the carbs and the sugars that go unused in fat pockets all over your body, making it that much more difficult to get rid of. So, remember, you can't outlift a bad diet. Remember, guys, get a journal. Document your baselines. Once you document your baselines and you identify where you're at, then you can identify where you want to go. Find a program that suits your goals. Make sure you reach out to your organization's peer fitness trainer program. Or if your organization doesn't have that type of a program, look to someone you trust so that you can make sure and work toward your goals in a safe manner. People expect excellence from us, you guys, whether you're a firefighter, EMS, or public safety, or um, police officer. People expect excellence. When you show up on a fire or an EMS emergency, people expect you to be the best. They don't stand outside while their house is burning down and think, gee, I hope I got a good crew today. No. They want you to be at your best all the time. And if you're wearing this badge, then that's what you've promised. So make sure that you fulfill that promise every day. Thanks again for listening, you guys. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Ignited Firefighter Podcast. Please subscribe through Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you want to subscribe. And if you want to learn more about Ignited, visit the website at ignitedff.com where you can read a little bit more about me, find all of the articles that I've written thus far, and get links to all my social media outlets. Also, please share this podcast with those you think may find value in it and would like to be a part of making positive changes in their environment by making positive changes within themselves. Be hard to kill out there, guys. <laughs>